Welcome to the Why God Why podcast. My name is Peter Englert. We're here with our fantastic producer, Nathan Yoder, and first one-time guest, first-time co-host, Gage Hunt. Gage, how you doing? Hi, hi. Glad to be here. We'll say remarkable. <laughs> so I'll take it. Uh, we we specifically have Gage on here. Um, today's episode is Why is Everyone Talking About Liturgy? We have a new friend. Uh, his name is Jeremy Maxfield. He's written a number of books, but he's also part of Rooted, um, which we had Jairus Williams. So I'm looking forward to him sharing his story. And you might be wondering what liturgy is. So stay tuned with the podcast. Some of you already know what liturgy is, but Gage, what are some of your thoughts before we throw it to Jeremy? Yeah, well, I'm uh, someone probably similar to a lot of our listeners who's grown up in fairly non-liturgical churches. We'll dive into that word and what it means more, of course. But um, And it's something that I've been increasingly interested in over the past few years, so I'm excited to talk to Jeremy. Uh, Jeremy, would you give us a little bit, tell us who you are and a little just of your story. Sure. Uh, so... First of all, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be a part of the show and and to talk about liturgy, which is something that I'm kind of newly passionate about. Uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that. But I, I grew up in, in church life, but I grew up in non-liturgical uh, in the traditional sense. Like you said, we'll talk about. I grew up in uh, church staff kid uh, here in the southeast. Uh, I grew up specifically SBC, like Southern Baptist Mega Church staff kid have kind of the, the cliche staff kid, black sheep, prodigal son kind of story where I never ran from God, uh, never doubted the gospel, uh, but I had a lot of angst towards the church and, and the pressure that I felt as a kid that was put on me as, you know, living up to my dad's. People knew my dad, and so I was expected to set a, an example. But so I've always loved the church, always desired to see the church healthy, and so as I grew older, uh, God kind of recaptured my heart, drew me back, and and kind of set me on this journey, both through pastoral staff and through Christian publishing. Uh, I was ordained to ministry, finished seminary uh, a little over 15 years ago, about 17 years now, and have served the church either through the publishing side or directly on church staff in different pastoral roles. Uh, and it's kind of led me around the southeast from Birmingham, Alabama, Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, and now I'm right outside Chattanooga, Tennessee, where I'm back on the publishing side of things and uh, get to serve my local church as as a member instead of a, a staff person. So it's refreshing to be able to go back and forth between those roles. And um, so it's just been been an honor. Mm. Well, before we talk about the shift that you made, I actually want to kind of switch things around. Um, I think it's important to define liturgy um, just for our listeners, because I think that that's probably going to guide the conversation. Um, how do you define liturgy and how would you help our listeners understand it just so that we're on the same page? Yeah, so one thing that was helpful for me to see as someone shifting out of what we would say is an a non-liturgical tradition into a, a liturgical one is that really any worship service, any church service has a liturgy, so to speak. The, at most simply, uh, it means order of, of worship. Uh, the Greek term would be public work, meaning as we come together as the body of Christ, what is it that we do when we're together in 
what is the order of those things that we do. So when we talk about liturgy, uh, what we what we know that we're talking about is kind of the more formal. Uh, there are set either rituals or recitations. There's responsive readings, kind of these symbols that, that are repeated week after week. Um, but really, even in a, in a non-liturgical setting, if I were to ask uh, either of you or, or me before uh, in my previous churches, be like, what, what can I expect when I come to your church? Um, we would say things like, well, there's, there's an opening song. It's usually more upbeat to kind of engage people. Then there's a welcome, then maybe some more music, prayer, you know, a sermon that's roughly this long an offering, you know, et cetera. And so the songs may rotate out, the sermon text would rotate out, but there's, there's a clear order to your service. Mm. Uh, so in that sense, there's, we all come from a liturgical background, so to speak, but specifically what we mean are these more prescriptive orders to worship that I would even say to use the word uh, kind of top down that they're, they're saying at, Within our tradition, within our denomination, this is kind of what's been the approved. We think these are the important things that we want to do when we gather. And there's even a script, specific wording, uh, specific movements at times, which we can talk about, that are all part of um, kind of that collective experience when we gather for, for worship. So liturgy, most specifically for our listeners, would be what are those things that we do um, that are intentional parts of the worship service uh, that have some kind of symbolism or, or meaning. Now, why don't you jump in and and tell us, you know, you've talked about being a rebel, you know, you've talked about growing up as a pastor's <laughs> kid. Um, you know, tell us kind of the process that you went through of kind of deciding to land at a quote-unquote more liturgical church. Sure. So for... For me personally, my family, uh, I would say that there's both a practical and a philosophical uh, kind of components to what led to this this change. I, I mentioned that I grew up Southern Baptist. Um, I intentionally went to an ecumenical seminary um, that uh, come to find out uh, later. It's been funny to see in hindsight that there's it's a, a pretty heavy Anglican presence uh, as well. But uh, went to an evangelical seminary that was an ecumenical seminary because I've always had a heart for what is it that we share in common as Christians mm -hmm. and how do people even who worship in other traditions, other denominations, uh, how and why do they think about things the way that they do? And even if I may have a certain way of thinking about things, for me, it was important to get an education that exposed me to other ways of thinking as opposed to telling and, and probably part of it is that kind of rebellious spirit maybe a little bit honestly of i don't want anyone to tell me this is this is how you have to interpret things as mm -hmm. a fill in the blank for me as a as a baptist uh, this is how you have to interpret things um and so i've always kind of had a heart for the church at large uh in a way that uh, hopefully doesn't diminish the value of of any other uh, specific traditions or denominations, but kind of also seeing that that common ground. And so philosophically, that's always been a, a passion of mine. Uh, specifically, this recent change, because no matter how many times uh, 
my wife and I, like when I moved for seminary, she did not grow up in the church at all. When she did, she was at a United Methodist church in college. We were at a United Methodist church as, as just a great uh, congregation that was engaged with the community, preaching the word. Uh, so when we moved, she said very clearly, I don't want to be a part of a Southern Baptist church, um, <laughs> which was which was funny as a Southern Baptist kid. But I was like, fine, we'll, you know, we'll just see what God has for us. We ended up joining a church uh, like many non-denominational churches in the South, at least. I don't know how it is everywhere, but at least around here, a lot of churches that are, are supposedly non-denominational, they're kind of Baptist in practice. They mm -hmm. just they just don't want it in the name. Uh, so uh, my wife actually ended up being the first person I baptized, um, which was which was a pretty cool story. Um, but so we've kind of always attempted to be a, a part of the broader church, uh, but always found ourselves serving in, attending members of uh, churches that were very similar to one another. Uh, theologically and in their their practice forms of worship and whatnot. Uh, and so recently, uh, a few years ago, I had been serving on church staff uh, here in the Chattanooga area, was a discipleship pastor. Uh, part of my heart, again, was to sort of broaden, like, focus on the gospel, allow room for a little more conversation around um, what I would say are secondary or, or tertiary issues, but really how do we define what the gospel is? How do we focus on that? Uh, and love our community and our church members well. Uh, as I transitioned off of staff uh, and went back into full-time publishing, we were kind of, we went through the process of praying, is it healthiest for us to stay members of the church? Where were we on staff? There were some different dynamics that we ultimately decided for their sake, for our sake, uh, we would find a, another church home here in the community to be a part of. And then, uh, COVID and all that hit. So practically we were in a place where we had been uh, attending another church where our girls were plugged in. I have three daughters kind of plugged into the youth group there. We've been active in this, this church here in our community and COVID hit and everything kind of went, uh, well, a lot of us went remote. A lot of churches in the area uh, kept meeting and there was just all these people who that we knew had a, that sort of felt homeless uh, within their church through the different kind of socio-political things over the past few years, whether it's kind of politics or Black Lives Matter or how to handle COVID and just all those sorts of things. There were a lot of people who felt like they didn't have a safe place in their church just to ask questions and, and talk about some of the things that were kind of consuming their, their every day. So we started a, a small group uh, during that season, and it was a really beautiful season. was able to baptize my middle daughter uh, that Easter uh, during COVID at a, at a park uh, with the people that had been in that, that small group with us. And we were at a, a time where we were praying about, do we become a house church uh, officially? Do we plant a church to kind of serve what feels like? This, this community, there's a need here, even in the, the buckle of the Bible Belt of Chattanooga, which is uh, there's more nonprofits per capita uh, than anywhere in the country. It's been uh, researched. It's called it the most Bible-minded city in America. But there was just a real void uh, 
because I think it was so culturally Christian that there were this whole group of people that sort of felt, okay, we have these questions. We're looking to kind of unify and we feel like there's kind of lines being drawn by all, a lot of churches right now saying, this is what we stand for. And so we were kind of all looking for a place to come together as believers, even if we had difference uh, in some opinions. And so as COVID lifted, we were in the season of practically, where are we going to plug in? Where are we going to find some like-minded community? And then just philosophically, again, that that desire for kind of an ecumenical type community that, uh, as the saying goes, like in essentials, unity and non-essentials, liberty and in all things, love. Like how can we really love one another and make a difference in our community? And so uh, with another family, we visited this church one Sunday and we just kind of knew right away, even though it was very different than the the style of worship that we were used to, there was there was just a clear spirit and, and atmosphere among the people that was exactly the type of community we were looking for. That's beautiful. Hey, just to make sure all of our listeners are tracking with us, you've used the word ecumenical a number of times. Would you just unpack that for our listeners? Sure. Yeah. Um, so ecumenical meaning uh, there's a difference between non-denominational, meaning uh, we try to kind of speak to Christians at large without any sort of uh, theological uh, without landing in any one theological camp, so to speak. And so ecumenical meaning people have all kinds of different backgrounds. Uh, so when I went to school and even at the church I attend now, which is uh, where we're members, it's an Anglican church. And, and our priest there would say, hey, if you don't understand this thing, that's fine. 99% of us did not grow up Anglican. We grew up Presbyterian or Methodist or Baptist or or whatever. And so ecumenical meaning we come from different denominations. We maybe even hold uh, views from those different denominations, but we're in a place where we can learn and be a community together uh, based on what you what we have mm-hmm. in common and leave room for the things where we differ uh, and see that as, as okay, not as something that we need to try to correct people to see those things the same way we do. Mm-hmm. Love that. Yeah. So let, let's kind of go deep dive um, because you've kind of hinted at this and this is where I think Gage is going to have the most fun and this is why we intentionally asked him to co-host. So like I grew up Assemblies of God Pentecostal, so I'm going to just share the liturgy from there, the order of service, you know, yeah, four to five worship songs, usually one, you know, the spirit would linger. You repeat the chorus a few more times, you know. Not trying to say it's anything bad, just trying to give you the facts. So um, we'd have a bevy of announcements and a prayer. Um, Something that I really appreciate about Pentecostal um, backgrounds is I feel like they do a really good job of transitioning you from worship to the next thing. You know, so, (laughs) you know, and when I say worship, I don't define it as holistic, but the song part of service, so we'll get there. But you know, like there's this sense of we're going to wait on God. We'll let the music play. There's a sermon. Um, and then there's an altar call. Now that's pretty typical I think to Southern Baptist. Um, so my best friend, best man at my wedding, Zach Smith, he totally, you know, 
went from a Baptist church to completely Anglican, Episcopal. Um, and and so I, I guess, you know, and I'm going to kind of look at both of you for this. What is it about being drawn to taking communion every week, the responsive readings? Mm. Like, what is it? Because about 20, 30 years ago, there was people that were mass exiting these services because they felt too traditional, they felt too religious, they didn't feel connected, that now we're kind of taking that turn. So so Jeremy, I want to kind of start with you. Now that we kind of know what we're talking about in the services, what is it about more communion, more responsive readings, mm-hmm. maybe shorter sermons? What is it that, what does that do for you? And then we'll have Gage respond also. Yeah, that's a, that's a great a great question, a great point. And um, I would say, yeah, I think it's interesting that you mentioned growing up kind of in a more Pentecostal background, because for me, I, I sort of, we, we can even get back to this, but see the rise of both the liturgical and Pentecostal movements. Um, I see them as different ends of the spectrum, but really similar draws in that I feel like both of them draw attention to experiencing God together, mm. um, in a, in a different way uh, than I was used to in a, in a non-liturgical service specifically for me. One of the things I would say the thing that I love the most is the way we observe communion each week. And for me, what I love about that, um, is that it, that it philosophically and practically makes Jesus the center point of what we're doing. Um, it's not talking about Jesus. And again, I say this with, with total respect for, for other traditions and, and ways of doing things. But for me, what's refreshing about it is that the sermon is important, but it's not the central part of, of the service. Everything is building towards communion every week. And, and the idea of Christ and his sacrifice and his life uh, laid down and given to us uh, and through the the wording as as a writer editor uh, and just my personality type, I really appreciate the very careful articulation of the different things which which can feel repetitive, but at the same time uh, in the spirit of we want to be very careful in how we're choosing to say this and mm. we're drawing from our brothers and sisters in Christ both globally and historically like we're we're communicating these things carefully and we're drawing attention in this case to the, the table that it's ultimately we're doing this for what Christ has done for us and um, and so I love just philosophically that it really is ultimately the reason we gather every week is for ultimately about communion it's about meeting with Jesus and even there there's in in, in my congregation there's Again, the the allowance for there's not a strict theology on what's happening here. Uh, mm-hmm. We believe that there's they use the the term the real presence of Jesus. So theologically, what do we mean by that? Like, if you're, we don't have to get into all the the definitions, but like, is this literally becoming the body and blood of Christ? Is it symbolically? Is it just something we're doing out of remembrance? Is there some sort of like what is happening in communion. And I love that in this tradition and in this liturgy, there's careful wording 
because they're okay with saying we don't we don't have to explain and pin down exactly what is happening, but we do believe that there's something special and unique about what is happening in this moment and the way Christ um, meets with us and is present with us in this moment. And so again, there's that there's that part of the service that we're saying this matters. Uh, we don't all have to even agree necessarily on exactly what is happening other than we believe that this is this is a way that Jesus has given us to to meet with him to be a a church body together this is what unites us as his sacrifice and his life for us uh and and so i i love that among other things but i i would say that's my favorite part of a the worship service each week mm. what about you gage yeah so as I already alluded to, I've spent most of my life in fairly uh, light liturgical <laughs> churches. And with that said, you know, as I've gotten older and experienced more of the church, I, I think two things really made me attracted and interested in, in more liturgy. One, you definitely hit, well, both, but one, certainly you mentioned appreciating what our brothers and sisters have done or are doing around uh, the world now and historically. And C.S. Lewis talks about this uh, idea of, as do others, chronological snobbery. Mm. Um, and, you know, seeing that shift throughout history and finding myself in kind of the popular version of the church in the moment when I started to think more about that idea of chronicle, chronological snobbery or the idea that because we're living now, we were wiser or smarter than our ancestors than those who came before, um, realizing that for much of church history, stereotypically, church gatherings were more liturgical than the average service, service I'd been part of, uh, and wanting to learn from that. Mm. And then the other thing, I think, was just a greater appreciation for mystery that made me mm. uh, more appreciate liturgy in that what you do in the service, um, the sacraments, for example, being you know communion or... Um, you know, different as elements of the service uh, that are more structured um, and don't exactly have a measurable uh, impact. Uh, you know, they don't necessarily, you don't see what's happening. Um, you know, in prayer, you don't always see what happens when you pray together in service and do a call and resp response prayer, prayers of the people, whatever it might be. Um, but a greater appreciation for just mystery and leaning into God working, even when there's mystery involved, um, and being excited about coming together, uh, caring about that, what God might do, even if I don't understand it throughout the service and aspects of the service that are more liturgical and more mysterious. Mm. So let me have some fun with both of you, because I, I like how you're kind of framing all of this, but I want to kind of go back to Jeremy's point. Um that Pentecostalism, you know, kind of more charismatic, kind of more being led by the spirit, um, which means they probably have their liturgy is not having an order of service. We can, that's an oversimplification. Um, but then there's this phenomenon of liturgy. I think what I'm hearing you both kind of say is there's this engagement issue that a lot of modern churches don't have. Um, but also what I'm kind of hearing you say is it, it's kind of weird because 
the churches that are growing, um, you know, I track these statistics. Um, I'm going to use, so like Hillsong, um, they've had some issues. We don't have to go into that, but those are churches that grow really, really fast. And there's something about the worship that's there that I think people walk in and they feel this connection. And I think you two are kind of making this distinction when I walk in and I do these practices, I feel the presence of God in a way that I haven't felt. I mean, is that kind of accurate pushback on me? Um, Cause I, I think that that's why this topic's important. It's the why behind some of our choices. Yeah. I, I would say for me uh, and some, you know, my wife and, and some friends, other people that, joined this church with us and, and in similar places uh, that there is that, that there's an engagement that we do feel like uh, we've gone from, if, if I'm not a leader, when I'm not in a pastoral role, that my job is to kind of help behind the scenes and within the worship service, uh, I sing the songs and I, and I take notes, right? Or, and I, but in a more liturgical service, there is, there is that sense of mystery uh, that we're saying there are these, you know, symbolically there's this embodied kind of discipleship happening that, uh, you know, you've got this kinesthetic learning that mm. your, your, your posture, your, uh, the actions, things like the, the bread in the cup each week and, and these different hand motions, maybe you, you cross your, yourself or uh, lift your hands when you say this part, uh, and just these practices that you do week after week, that they're kind of, those are things that we know not only engage us and at first they feel kind of awkward or, or they did for me uh, to do some of these things. But then the, the more I was around them, the more I began to appreciate that there's something about the movements. There's something about the, the nature of doing these things each week that I'm really starting to embrace not only what God is, is doing in me and reminding me that I'm here because it's so out of the ordinary and that it's reminding me, this is something different than, than my, the rest of my life. When I walk into this space, it's not just like I'm walking into, to anywhere else. Um, and, and I think you see that in both those movements that there, there's that desire to, to experience God and to be with other people mm experiencing God in a way that is not like the rest of our culture. And so it's, it's maybe even to your point, to some degrees, your reaction towards church kind of becoming more and more relevant culturally. Like, can we look more and more in a way that's comfortable for people? Whereas a liturgical service, the aim is not to make you feel comfortable. The, everything there is to, there's very intentional elements of, we're doing this really for the the believer um, in, in this time, but those who are not believers kind of see this and it, it would almost be impossible not to ask questions like, mm. why are you doing this? It, it reminds me of kind of Old Testament, you know, in Deuteronomy and with Shema and all these things and, and with the Exodus, the Passover, like when your kids ask you, why are you doing these things? You can tell them the stories of, of what God has done. And so, I do think there's a level of engagement and a desire for our church experience to not look like the rest of our, our day-to-day -day life. Um, what do you gauge? What do you No, I love that you said it. Uh, um, oftentimes, 
much of the time the liturgical service, if we just want to talk about the service, is not designed to make you feel good. And I think a lot of the people um, reacting to churches that have felt uh, over-relevant or um, over-attractional, a lot of what they're reacting to is maybe a feeling that the churches they've engaged, they feel are just marketing them and offering them a feel-good you know, Sunday morning experience. And I think a lot of people have kind of changed their mind and say, said, I don't want to feel good. I want to connect with something deeper. Um, I want to be part of something deeper, more meaningful, more significant. And liturgical churches say and demonstrate uh, that that's what they're trying to do. <laughs> so, you know, yeah, I, I, I'll go ahead, Jeremy. Uh, to ping off of that quickly, I think even as I mentioned that we made this shift in, in our church home and fell in love with it following, you know, everything the past few years with, uh, you know, quarantine and virtual groups. Our, our small group that was meeting began virtually. And the first time we ever met in person was at that park for our worship service to baptize my daughter and celebrate Easter. And I do think there's also a cultural shift of it if the reason that we're gathering is to sing again if the reason we're gathering is to hear a sermon mm -hmm. or to sing songs um there are fantastic podcasts and streaming you can stream worship services you can we have spotify we you know we can get content, very thoughtful, uh, meaningful content, life-changing content, um, if the purpose of going to church, so to speak, is for the preacher to teach you something that you need to think about and apply for the rest of the week. And so whatever the form of worship, I do think there's also the reaction of either I don't need to go to church or I need, there's a different reason to go to church. Um, and, and it has, I think that's kind of where some of that mystery of there's got to be, I'm coming to church for something different than just to hear this week's message. Cause I, I'm bombarded with messages, um, daily and, you know, audiobooks and podcasts and on demand, anything. And so I, I think there is a little bit of a hunger for beyond content. Why am I, why am I gathering with other people? Mm. You know, so I kind of want to explore this with both of you because I think this is pretty important. Um, Generation Z um, and also millennials have this like high um, sense of, you know, inauthentic, you know, being inauthentic. And I, I think that that's a weird moving target <laughs> because like, you know, you could, so you could make a comment. I've heard this comment before why are there smoke machines in the worship service, you know, or, you know, why is there an electric guitar or something like that? As I hit the microphone, <laughs> as we're talking on community, this is great. So anyways, so, so there's this high desire for authenticity. And even with the sermon, like, I think where I've been pushed as a pastor is please get real. Please tell us how this is in your life. And like, 
the deeper you go, the more impact that you have. And there's a whole tension there. And I, I guess, you know, I think this is helpful for our listeners. This is also, I'm sure there's pastors and leaders that are listening. When we say we want more authenticity, I don't think you two would say like, you know, we want the guitar player that learned on YouTube all by themselves, you know, to do that. Like, you know, we, we're not saying like, don't prepare, you know, the sermon really well. We're not saying, you know, don't go over the order of service, no matter where you are, that it's not smooth. But when we say like the church isn't authentic enough, and even just this phenomenon, we'll put the Pentecostalism to the side of liturgy. What are, Mm -hmm. what are both of you trying to get at that maybe it's going to resonate with our listeners? So for me, and I love that you you brought up millennials and, and Gen Z. Uh, so I have I have three daughters. Gen Z proudly, I think all of Gen Z is very proud to be Gen, Gen Z, uh, <laughs> and my oldest daughter claims that often. And to your point, uh, I don't know if anything could have meant more to me as as a father than to hear my oldest daughter, who's sixteen. She was she was fifteen when we started uh, attending. Coming back from, uh, coming back from the the youth group, and for her, she said, and again, this is my daughter. I've been on pastoral staff at churches of various sizes, and and her words were, uh, when asked, you know, how was it? Uh, she didn't say it was fun. She didn't say, you know, I met a lot of people. Uh, what or what she said was, um, I feel like, and she prefaced it kind of like I do, and I apologize that I don't mean anything bad by this. Uh, but she said, I feel like in, in my experience, we say things like it's okay to have questions. It's okay, uh, to struggle. It's okay, um, to not know what you think or, or believe about certain things. She's like, but I've never really felt like that was actually true. Mm. I feel like that's something that was always said, but if you had a question or you didn't believe something, then you were pretty quickly told what you were supposed to believe, Mm. um, or how you could stop struggling with what you're struggling with. And, and not that there's anything wrong with, knowing what you believe in, in discipling others. I'm obviously hundred percent for that. Uh, and I'm hundred percent for content that helps you do that. Uh, but for her, she immediately saw in this community, we're allowed to ask questions. We're allowed to say, I don't know if I believe that yet, or that sounds good. Um, and, and for me, the way I've seen that on the bigger scale, like in a liturgical worship service is that it does the liturgy in many ways uh, in a way that I would have grown up saying has the tendency, the temptation, the possibility of becoming just rote religion, just empty ritual that I think because I I do these things and I take communion or cross myself or, or whatever that I'm right with God. And I've kind of checked my boxes Uh, for me at least in this season, what I've found is that it's been refreshing, that all those things are there. All those things are communicating the gospel to me. There's the time of corporate 
repentance and, and confession, um, which almost every week, the part of that that gets me is the, what I have done and what I've left undone. I'm mm. like, man, like thinking about the things that I haven't done as something that I, I may need to repent of. Um, but there's these parts of the liturgy that are communicating the gospel to me. And it, and the way that that kind of open space for authenticity, I think is that it takes some of the pressure and the weight off of the personality mm. um, at the front of the, on, on stage, so to speak. Um, it's not about how excellent of a communicator the preacher is, uh, because like I said, it's, it's not about the sermon, uh, or homily or whatever word you want to use the, we love the messages each week, but the, the focus is communion and, and that time of corporate confession and being with one another. And so I think because it takes some of the pressure off of the sermon, and and maybe even the music and I, to me music is is super important like i have a, a whole stack of vinyl behind me here i, I love music uh, but i think the liturgy helps say this is why we're here mm. and that allows that time to it, it allows people to feel authentic because it's not as much about the sermon that they're hearing it's more about these other elements even though that's still there if does that does that make sense at, so, at all no it, it makes a ton of sense but i'm thinking about our listeners and i'm, I'm probably gonna throw it to gauge because you you both have said this and it's almost like you have to experience it you're saying that a more liturgical structured service helps you be authentic where some of our listeners are saying I grew up Catholic, Catholic, Anglican, Episcopal, and they're like, I didn't have that experience. Like, I actually yeah. felt like I did it wrong. So, I mean, Gage, like, what you use the word mystery? Mm. Like, what is it about mm -hmm. that that kind of opens it up? Because you're, you're you're hinting at it, but I think some of our listeners are like, what? Like, <laughs> you did all of this in service and you felt freer. So, yeah, I think the authenticity piece isn't about style, but about uh, reason. It's about the why. Mm -hmm. And so I can recently, I, I really enjoy, you know, checking out the full breadth of the church. And so I was in Chicago recently and got to check out a bunch of different churches in Chicago and intentionally went to a couple that were not my style. Um, probably the least liturgical church I've ever been to, one of them was. Uh, but they unpacked why they did what they did. Um, and the reasoning, and they were super worship, like it was worship, 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 worship for much more of the service than any other church I'd been to um, in more of a CCM contemporary style um, and then a short sermon. But they unpacked during the service why that was. And it was they really believed for uh, their church that in worship was where they together were going to most significantly engage the spirit together. Mm. And so... That's really different um, from what I was talking about earlier with mystery through sacrament and liturgy. But I think with both of them, it, it gets to the why. You know, if, if, you can, if you believe that the church service is the way it is uh, for like authentic reason, which authentic reason uh, being, I'm, I'm speculating here, but I think for most of the you know, Gen Z or younger millennial Christians criticizing the inauthenticity that they've 
um, perceived in the church. It's it's a prioritization of things like attraction and attendance over over actual engagement, mm. engagement with the Spirit. I mean, engagement with God um, and each other in, in real worship. And so, liturgy or total contemporary CCM style service, they can both fail at that. And, you know, liturgy can become religion and CCM can become entertainment when that why is off. Yeah. Um, but if that why is, I think, authentic and the decisions, the, the leadership, the decisions are being made to be really the type of church that that those leaders are sensing, um, that who, who God's both gifted mm-hmm. and invited them to be, um, I don't think we should all look uniform. I don't think that's what the millennial or Gen Z is asking for, but just a a clarity and a commitment to the why mm. of the way the church is. Mm. Yeah, and I I would I would say you're right on, and that that's what we've loved about our our church community is the liturgy is part of that, and it's. Um, it's carried out beyond just the worship service um, that, that for us, part of what we love about the liturgy is the saying, if we believe these things are important and why, and I'll clarify too, that, that there are some much more formal, even in town, there's another Anglican church that's much more formal than we are. I, I joke that we're Chattanooga Anglican and that, uh, you know, someone could be barefoot or whatever, like it's, <laughs> you kind of got your outdoorsy, very casual, but there's the liturgy as well. Um, but both with the intentionality behind the liturgy, that why that Gage mentioned, and that's evidenced in the way they engage with the community beyond the worship service. Uh, the announce they're just constantly saying, this is what we're doing to serve our neighbors. This is how we're engaged with the community. Uh, even things like church calendar of, of just helping us see all of life intentionally through this lens of the gospel, I think is, is what's attractive, at least to us and to many who didn't grow up in this background. And so sometimes it's just the change. Part of it may just be that it's refreshing because I didn't grow up in this background and someone who did is like, I, I need, let's swap churches. I'll go to where, where you grew up and, and you come here. But so to a degree, there's just a, a refreshing about the why we do what we do. Uh, but I think also it's seeing, does it carry out beyond the worship service into how we're really seeing the rest of our daily lives and what we're, are we still embodying our faith beyond just the embodied motions and actions of the worship service? Are we now embodying that faith as, as we go out into our, our day-to-day lives is what's been very attractive for us uh, as well in this tradition. So, I'm I'm glad you brought it up because even as we keep going with this conversation, you know, you brought up the church calendar because I I actually think probably more people today are into Advent and Lent. Um, And I, I think there's a couple reasons. So, you know, there was a day when the church kind of modeled country clubs, like, and I don't say that evilly, but like, we're going to have a men's ministry. We're going to have a women's ministry and we're going to have events and we're going to, and you know, Daniel M calls it the mid-sized group. And by no, you know, we as a church, we have those and, and stuff like that. But like when I see people kind of the lights turn on, 
it kind of comes with Advent and Lent because we live in a time that people are so busy. Also, like what you've mentioned, um, COVID and all of that. But, you know, I'm wondering if the reason why Advent and Lent are so important is forget the church for a moment. Easter, like the bunny's there and then it's done. Um, Christmas, you know, it's you've got basically seven weeks, you know, even now, I think Christmas stuff, by the time this episode, it's going to be up. But there's this idea that like, I really want to savor the Christmas season, watch movies. And I think even as our culture, there's way more nostalgia to this. And so, you know, even I think the way it's affecting all churches is there's this desire to not do a ton, but actually slow down and embrace Mm. the calendar. So Lent, when I fast, you know, whether you fast traditionally or you fast like from social media or from sugar, there's this attempt that as a family or as an individual, like we're reminded of Jesus dying on the cross and raising from the dead. And with Advent, you know, the focus is on joy, hope, and peace. And and all of those themes is that we really want to make Christmas something that we connect with. So, you know, as I kind of see it, it, it's almost as if the more the world changes, the more people are looking for things that won't change. I don't know. That's, I don't know. Gage, am I crazy? I don't know. <laughs> no, no. Um, no, I like that example. I think, I think Advent is an accessible entry point to liturgy, but. Mm-hmm. Jeremy, what are some of your thoughts? So uh, I've just kind of completed my first uh, circle through the the church calendar, so to speak, in that it's been a year for me since mm-hmm. since we've uh, begun going to a liturgical church and had used uh, kind of used a, a reading plan that drew from. I, I still don't understand how to use the Book of Common Prayer and all those sorts of things, but. So I had to get a, a resource. Uh, it's called Sacred Ordinary for anyone who's interested. It's a great devotional that really kind of gives you, here's the readings from the daily office is, is what it's called. Here's some morning readings, some evening readings. Uh, and really you have some some Psalms, some Old Testament, New Testament, or gospel. There's always a gospel reading. And so it kind of walks you through the calendar. And what to me was so refreshing about that is First of all, it's exactly what you said, slowing down, really paying attention. But what I think I'm going to love about it now that I've kind of been through one year is is that every year it's that constant reminder of a very holistic picture of the gospel, that mm. the gospel is not just about um, – it's, it's not just Jesus was born, Jesus died for our sins um, – sharing the gospel in, in that kind of sense of uh, our purpose as believers is to get, just get other people saved. Um, mm-hmm. and, but it's, it's this very holistic picture of beginning with Advent. We ex- expecting uh, the Lord to come, expecting God to kind of come into his world to, to bring the promised Messiah moving into, okay, then, so you've got Advent and Christmas, the 12 days of Christmas. I didn't realize that was a thing. Like <laughs> it's, it's more than a song. There are the 12 days of, of Christmas. Uh, and then the season of, of epiphany that's looking at uh, 
the Magi and, and basically God revealing what he's doing in, in the person of Christ. There's a short season there. Uh, East Lent, kind of leading up to Easter and just remembering, being reminded not only of of our own mortality, uh, and it, it's not as it's not as bleak as it as it sounds, but just remembering, okay, if 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 I'm I, I don't live forever, I'm not invincible. Like, hmm. what am I doing with my life, and what is God like? Do I do I value what that God has created me, that He's at work in this world? Am I aware of the fact that other people around me are experiencing brokenness as, as well? And kind of learning to see all of life, the need for resurrection and, and restoration. And so a season of just really focusing on the whole world is in need of, of resurrection. Like mm. God is the ultimate plan of salvation is to redeem all of creation. Um, and then one of the things that I think was most surprising to me is Pentecost that that after Easter, um, and I laughed when I heard the the phrase the Easter's, which I thought was just a, a Nacho Libre. If people are familiar with Nacho Libre, <laughs> when they mentioned the Easter's, I was like, oh, that's an actual thing. Like they call it the Easter's, and there's, you know, you you have your season of, of forty days until the ascension, and so the resurrected Christ, and then Pentecost Sunday, entering this new season of being reminded every year that with specific teaching on the Holy Spirit and the fact that we've now been given the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead now lives within us. And you kind of enter this season for the rest of the year up until All Saints Day, uh, right after Halloween, right? Of mm -hmm. remembering what the early church and what it's like to be the people of God filled mm -hmm. with the Holy Spirit. And so you kind of see the, the circle every year of being reminded that you don't you know, hopefully like Peter talks about that we, we grow in maturity, right? But you never outgrow the gospel and remembering like we look for Christ to come again. Uh, we remember his work and the way he, he was revealed to people. We remember that, um, you know, that, that we'll all die, that the world is broken in need of rest, restoration and that Christ has overcome sin in the grave and we now have his spirit living within us. And so what are we doing with our day-to-day -day lives to, to live out that reality is, is something that I still have a lot to learn about the calendar, but just that simple pattern is, is a pretty beautiful reminder. Mm -hmm. Man, that's actually a great place to kind of close the episode. Jeremy, we're going to have to have you back on again and then uh, I'll have to co-host with Gage, you know, <laughs> maybe we'll talk about Advent or Lent or something like that, but um, the Easter's the Easter's, you know, or uh, the Easter's. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So we close every episode with uh, what does Jesus have to say about uh, everyone talking about liturgy? So um, we get to answer it. And as the newbie liturgy high church guy, you get to clean up our mess. So, um, you know, just don't share it with your pet. I don't know. I'm just kidding. Don't <laughs> we'll go from there. So Gage, do you want me to go first or do you? Wanna... Oh, you go for it. Oh, you want me to go? Okay. <laughs> you know, I, what I love about this conversation is really we're we're not essentially telling you to do liturgy or not do liturgy. We all do liturgy in some form or fashion. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think that there is this beautiful question of why, which is why this podcast is named Why. Why do we do what we do? And I want to go back to Jesus. Like, 
Jesus still partook in Passover. He still went to the temple. And, you know, we come, we sometimes want to disassociate Jesus from the Old Testament, except those passages that seemingly point to him. And, you know, I, I just think for our listeners, if you're de-churched and unchurched and you've made it this far, you know, I think there's something powerful about being rooted to a community, being rooted to practices. You know, yes, it's communion and responsive readings, but being committed to small groups, being committed to serving, because it's it's a space where God wants to work in us differently. And I, I think the biggest mistake that the church has made is we've made faith this mental ascent or behavioral ascent when Jesus is inviting us to an experiential ascent where you know yes. he wants to meet with us and sometimes you have to do things i love what how both of you phrased it you're uncomfortable with it's it's uncomfortable at times kneeling in your seat it's uncomfortable at times um we joke about this taking the film off the communion cup we don't say you know we serve it very covid friendly and things like that so you know there's an element of faith that there's risk taking to do that so that's kind of what I'm leaving with is that Jesus kind of both mo- uh, bridges that tension of comfort and uncomfortableness so that you can experience him in a new way. So go ahead. That was good. I'm, I'm really just going to regurgitate that in, in my own uh, words. But to, yeah, the two things that have been I've been thinking about and as I think what would what would Jesus have to say to us in this moment are first, I think he, he just... He looks at the whole church and smiles, mm. um, and in that is the invitation to um, for all of us, whatever part of the church we're in, liturgical or not so much, to to appreciate that and to see that and to take a posture of a greater posture of brother and sisterhood with each other, and then to to folks and uh, whose experience perhaps is like mine, I think there's an invitation too uh, from Christ that. Um, you know, Sundays, uh, maybe there's there's more than, you know, going and being encouraged. Um, maybe maybe it's worth exploring some of the things that in the past you've uh, perhaps looked at skeptically or as purely religious and hollow. I think there's an invitation there to us to appreciate the mystery of how God works and how he's worked throughout history in his church and to maybe explore and open ourselves up to some of those uncomfortable mm things that that he might work through in the church Mm. yeah i would echo what what you both said and uh peter i love that you pointed out that that jesus did partake in the festivals and uh i truly believe and want to believe with all of my heart i appreciate the different practices uh whether more liturgical less liturgical uh I truly believe that the heart behind any of these kind of traditions and movements is, is hopefully that we're seeking to be as true as possible to what mm. we know and, and believe about the life of Christ, what we see in God's word. And, and I think any of these kind of forms of worship, for the most part, you can see examples in, in the New Testament church in, in the life of Jesus. And even as he observed some of the, the Old Testament rituals, but then he was also on a hillside and he was also in a boat and, and there were, you know, he was picking grain and doing things on the Sabbath that you weren't supposed to do. And, and being reminded, you you see words like the Sabbath 
was created for man, not the man for Sabbath. And, mm. and you see things about empty ritual and uh, appearing religious, but, you know, and having it all together, but being, uh, but dying inside and having no spiritual life. And so I, I would think maybe most specifically, I, I would think of Jesus and the woman at the well and, and the conversation that she had about some people say we should worship this way and in this place. And, you know, the Samaritans say we worship over here in this way. And the Jews say we should worship over here in this way. What do you say? And he says, my father is seeking those who will worship in spirit and in truth. And mm. so, uh, you know, in some ways, maybe he even kind of dodged the question, but answered the, the deeper question of, I'm less concerned about where and how you worship and God wants your, wants your heart and he wants you to experience him and, and to love your neighbor, you know, love God and, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so when we find um, a church community, a church family that helps us do that in a healthy way, uh, regardless of uh, the form of worship, I, I think that that, that honors God. I'm glad we saved him for last. Hey, that's what we always do. You know, he's only been thinking about it for the last, like, you know, his whole life. So, <laughs> uh, but yeah, Jeremy, if uh, people want to follow you, where's the best place for them to do that? On on Twitter and Instagram, I'm J.R. Maxfield. Uh, and then Jeremy-Maxfield on, on Facebook. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can find all that uh, JeremyMaxfield.com. Is, is where I, I have a site for as a, a writer, publisher, uh, but it has all my social handles as well. You can also find a Zanga. No, I'm just totally kidding there. So <laughs> uh, anyways, uh, we, Jeremy, thank you so much for joining us. We are part of the Why God Why podcast, responding to the questions you don't feel comfortable asking in church. The best way to get a hold of us is go to whygodwhypodcast.com. Click subscribe. You'll get this episode and many others. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you.